Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to episode 93 of the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. One example is a lady who's disabled and dyslexic who was targeted by a scam operation, over £400,000, which was money needed for her daughter. I was expecting for my national health number to be asked for because I knew from friends that that was what happened. But instead of that, I was asked to fill in my credit card details. It's being aware of what are the, the things that you tend to share or tend to engage in and maybe just take a step back and thinking, why is it that I'm sharing this or why is it that I want to engage in this in the first place? At this point in time, where we're all quite tired of lockdowns and maybe a little more vulnerable than we normally would be scammers are really clearly trying to to take advantage unfortunately. This week I'm joined by witch consumer rights expert Adam French for a deep dive into scams. Find out some of the scams you need to watch out for right now as well as how to protect yourself and others. Plus we discuss who's liable when money is lost, what needs to change and how you can get involved. We are witch. In the last year, £1.7 billion was lost to fraud in the UK, which scales down to an alarming £54 a second. But while it's obviously such a huge problem, it's quite easy to think that getting scammed just happens to someone else, the vulnerable or the gullible. But that really isn't the case. Um, I've got a BBC article up in front of me that I found just yesterday about a student who fell victim to Royal Mail delivery scam. Now, I don't know about you, Adam, but I've received a few scam emails saying I need to pay for a parcel being held. And as is so often the case, it's just so awfully timely, isn't it? So let's start here then. How have scammers responded to the latest lockdown? What have you been seeing? They've they've responded with incredible uh, professionalism, I suppose. You have to you have to say mm-hmm. they really know what they're doing and how to take advantage of the uncertainty of the current situation. And I think the Royal Mail uh, tech scam is a really powerful example of how how effectively they can operate and how easily they can catch any one of us out. Um, this is really capitalizing on a perfect storm as well this text appears saying you've got a parcel you need to pay to have it released what you've got at the moment is a lot of people stuck at home making lots of online orders and confusion as well around brexit and problems with people having to pay additional fees when ordering from the eu so you've got to pay things like vat and duty charges potentially on on more expensive orders catching people out essentially who may be waiting on orders maybe like this person it's your birthday and you're expecting lots of gifts to be arriving i think oh i need to pay a fee to release this it's really easy to see how that can be convincing and how easily it can catch you out and that's one of 
a number of scams we've seen doing the rounds uh, recently. In fact, just a day or two ago, let me get my mobile phone out here so I give you the right one. I received a message from supposedly from Lloyd's, the bank, saying a new payee has been linked to my app. If this wasn't me, ignore this message. If not, cancel app. And it gave me a link which clearly isn't anything to do with Lloyd's and would probably pilfer a lot of personal information off of me if I tried to fill it in um, and followed that link. Now, you know, I know that's a scam because I'm not with Lloyd's. Um, but if you were and you were worried someone had set up a new pay on your account, there's every chance you could follow that link as well. So we are seeing a lot of classic scams, but just doing the rounds again, a lot of stuff being forced out on people. And at this point in time, where we're all quite tired of lockdowns and and maybe a little more vulnerable than we normally would be, um, scammers are really clearly trying to, to take unvo- advantage, unfortunately. And we've caught up with one of our listeners, Sue, who was targeted by one of these latest scams doing the rounds. And again, it's it's an example of scammers really exploiting our current situation. Hi, I'm Sue Whitney, and I received an NHS uh, scam text early on in January. I received the text uh, uh, quite late in the evening. It was about 10 o'clock one evening. And I knew that from what the government briefings that the 70 year olds and 80 year olds had already been um, vaccinated or the majority had. So I was looking I was looking to um, get news about when I would receive the vaccine, having some health vulnerabilities, I guess. I was really pleased to see the text, started following it through to the website and reading the, the, the uh, pages that all looked fine. It, I'd, it was stuff I'd seen before on the NHS website about the vaccine. And then I started in putting my information, um, uh, personal information, and I was expecting for my national health number to be asked for because I knew from friends that that was what happened. But instead of that, um, I was asked to fill in my credit card details. Um, and that was when I kind of started getting worried I didn't do I stopped at that point uh, because I knew that the NHS vaccine was was free and there was no need for my credit card details to be used in any way it is worrying because you just know that other people won't have recognized it as being an issue uh, and and it was and to all too easily are giving away details that can be used financially against them in a big way Thankfully, Sue saw entering her credit card details as a red flag and and stopped there. She actually then came to Witch Conversation. And this, if you don't know it, is kind of like a Reddit for consumers. And I hope the witch heads don't mind me saying that. Um, Sue posted what had happened there and found that many others had experienced something similar. Adam, for anyone who receives a health-related text, kind of like the the Lloyd's text you just mentioned, because it can be quite common and legit, I receive updates from my GP via text. What's your advice to separate the real thing from a scam? I think when you're receiving any text message out of the blue, asking you for personal information or asking you to follow a link, it's to step back and, and not do that, essentially. If you are concerned that the text could be real, you're better off looking up the contact details of the organisation that the text is supposedly from separately and then contacting them yourself to validate what you've just been told. Um, that's usually the absolute best way of protecting yourself from from tech scams. Now, at the moment, we should all be in, being informed either already or in the coming months that you've got a, 
appointment for a, a COVID vaccine, which I'm very excited to be able to have and have life back to normal a little bit. Um, there are a few things to look out for there in particular. There is a very, very convincing um, tech scam doing the rounds, which links through to an even more convincing fake NHS website. And I say that because it's almost caught me out in terms of how legitimate it looks. It's so hard to tell the difference. And it's the thing to look out for here is when you're asked um, to book in your appointment for your COVID vaccine, that you will not be asked for your name, your date of birth, your address. Importantly, you will not be asked for your payment card um, or any proof of address, for example, because that's the level of personal information scammers want to get hold of to be able to steal your identity potentially or even pilfer money out of your account. You should instead get a message that just invites you to come to an appointment and you can arrange things directly with the NHS. But they are incredibly hard to tell the difference and scammers certainly know what they are doing. So if you are unsure at all, you're better off contacting your local NHS department directly to try and validate that information. Now, on a slightly different note, we've also been looking into some of the factors that could make you more susceptible to a scam. And one interesting angle is how your personality traits play a role. Here's more on this from Dr. Linda Kay, a reader in psychology at Edge Hill University, specialising in online behaviours. I suppose it's it's being aware of, of what tends to motivate you as a person um, in terms of your behaviour. And, you know, if you're one of these people who might um, encompass a lot more of these sorts of social traits, like things like agreeableness, it's being aware of what are the, the things that you tend to share or tend to engage in, for example, on social media, and maybe just take a step back and thinking, why is it that I'm sharing this or why is it that I want to engage in this in the first place and and being kind of critical of one's own behavior so regulating that, that thought process perhaps so when we look at the different types of personality traits and how they might correspond to different types of scams um, I suppose what we know is people who might be more fearful so have perhaps higher level of neuroticism and maybe more likely to fall for authority-based scams so a good example of this is the HMRC scam um, those people that might have these more sort of social traits, so things like agreeableness, high extroversion, may be more likely to fall for these scams, which are more commitment based. So things like romance scams and then people who might be more introverted, maybe more likely to be um, vulnerable to scams such as a Bitcoin scam. So ones that are characterized by things like authority um, and consensus. It's really interesting stuff from Linda and a great takeaway to think about what you share online and and over text and why. Speaking from my personal experience, I've noticed such a rise in my friends and family forwarding messages on WhatsApp this past year. There was one in particular, actually, that that really took me aback recently. It was from my niece. Uh, She sent a message with a link saying it had a surprise. um, And when I clicked the link, maybe I shouldn't have, um, it showed an animation with her name and asked you to put in your name and forward it to your friends. Now, for this episode, I I did just a bit of digging to see if the website URL was linked to a scam. And I saw a few mentions from sources I don't know. One said it's a browser hijacker, which, again, isn't a term I know. But can this kind of thing ever be harmless? Or would you generally advise to stay clear of forwarding anything or giving details away unless you're 100% sure you're dealing with a legit source? And I suppose also this idea of kids having to navigate their way through this kind of thing makes me feel very uneasy. Yeah, um it is really concerning, isn't it, that that these kind of messages can be shared so so easily? Uh, and I think the 
because it's sort of linked to someone you know, it instantly comes with this this higher level of trust in what you've been sent. So you, you're more likely to click on the link thinking, well, they wouldn't send me a scam. Mm. Uh, browser hijackers actually, whilst we're on that, are, are quite frustrating uh, programs that can often take over your internet browser and start injecting it with advertising. Suddenly you may find your home screens changed, you've got ad banners on sites where you didn't have them before, and they can be tricky little sods to try and unpick from your browser as well and those kind of things can be downloaded when you follow links to these sort of seemingly harmless but fairly pointless sites where they might ask you to put in your name for example um they may sneak some software onto your browser so it is it is risky and it's hard to tell the difference whether you're dealing with a a legitimate source or not it has to be said and i would encourage anyone to to think twice before sharing anything that they've received really onwards Mm -hmm. um but it can be really hard to tell the difference and i think that's where trying to stay one step ahead of scammers can be extremely difficult and certainly where big platforms like whatsapp which is owned by facebook one of the wealthiest biggest tech companies on the planet could be doing so much more to try and protect its users and making sure that those dodgy urls don't actually end up being shared that widely um obviously there are big challenges in how they can go about doing that but i think ultimately if we're the ones who are using their service and making them money um then they have a duty of care towards us to make sure they are protecting people from scams running rife on their platforms and, and on personality traits i feel like i should mention the witch scam quiz i'm sure you've you've seen it adam um I, I did it this week along with my producer, um, and shame, shamefully, I have to say, I got four out of five. And 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 this is these are questions basically: is this a scam or not? And I got four out of five. But the question I got wrong in my defence was thinking that something was a scam when, in fact, it it appears not to be a scam. And maybe that says something about my personality. I'm sure Dr. Linda would have something to say about that. Maybe I see see the worst, uh, assume the worst. Adam, have you done the scam quiz? I have done. And I think we're exactly the same. I've got four out of five as well. I probably shouldn't admit that now. <laughs> exactly the same reason. I, I thought the ad was a scam and it was actually legitimate. And I feel like part of that is having worked on scams for the best part of half a decade now, there's a low level of trust within me sometimes towards adverts online. And it is really hard to tell the difference. And we're naturally clearly maybe slightly more concerned by what we're seeing online. And I imagine that's massively influenced by what we've worked on over the years. Mm. Um, And it is hard to tell the difference, uh, especially if a business puts out a bit of a rubbish advert. Definitely. It's really hard to tell the difference if that's a scammer or not. And it shows how, how difficult it is for businesses to stay one step ahead, let alone us as consumers trying to navigate this online world and figure out what can be trusted and what can't. I should say, if you would like to have a go at this scam and try and beat us and get five out of five, you can find it at witch.co.uk forward slash scams quiz. We are witch. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, perhaps a more traditional kind of scam is where fraudsters cold call at your front door. Now, with the rise of all things digital, you might think this is a thing of the past. But as our later life editor, Neil Higgins, explains, it's still very much a problem today. Well, a doorstep scam is basically when somebody arrives uninvited uh, at your front door and they try to talk you into parting with some of your hard-earned money. Uh, Or they might uh, look for your personal information. So, I mean, they can come in in many different guises, unfortunately, but uh, basically what they all have in common is that a stranger will ring on your door and they'll launch into a 
probably a very well-rehearsed story or sales pitch. And uh, they'll usually be quite persuasive and very determined and, um, you know, try to catch you off guard. Yeah, it's definitely a big problem. It's difficult to say exactly because so much of this type of fraud goes unreported. In 2019-2020, uh, Citizens Advice recorded um, about 37,000 complaints. They say that these figures are probably a fraction of the real numbers. There's something about being scammed by someone at your home that really kind of makes your skin crawl a bit. Adam, if you think you might be vulnerable to a doorstep scam or you know someone who might be, what can you do to prevent this kind of scam from happening? And and what about if you suspect either you or someone else might have fallen victim to something like this? Mm, doorstep scams, you're right, are really horrible, horrible sort of invasive um, experience and very uh, infamously now earlier this year, someone was actually administered a fake vaccine and charged for it by a doorstep scammer so these things are happening um and it's really hard to keep keep track of traditionally it would have been uh, rogue traders appearing at your door saying that your roof needs fixing for example when actually anything but that is true and then charging you for that work but now we're in this world where healthcare is so important we're seeing lots of uh, dodgy stuff happening potentially on people's doorsteps there are things you can do to protect yourself and i think first and foremost it's be on your guard against anyone appearing at your door out of the blue trying to sell you something uh when they're uninvited because that's the kind of stuff that just shouldn't be happening in this day and age either so anyone turning up out of the blue i'd, I'd treat that with a, a degree of caution and it's always important to make sure you're keeping your home secure as well so don't let strangers into your house without first checking their id and they are who they say they are they give you your their id you can ring up their company and, and double check as well they are who they say they are make sure they're only arriving by appointment not out of the blue make sure you've got a chain on your door so they can't push their way in all of those kind of things are absolutely key to making sure you, your house stays secure there are other things you can do as well. I think one of the best things you can do, especially if you've got a family member uh, who's particularly vulnerable and say you're not all that near, you can nominate a neighbour, so either a relative or friend or friendly neighbour who's living nearby, uh, and ask them to be on standby in case they receive any suspicious callers on the doorstep um, so that basically they can call the nominated neighbour to make sure um, that they can validate who it is and pop around really to make sure they're not taking advantage of on the doorstep by someone so you can sort of ingrain that behavior to say if anyone appears at your doorstep out of the blue you need to ring um you know george down the road who who can nip by and make sure everything's okay and i think that's a really good way of, of making sure you're you're looking after anyone particularly vulnerable and then there's high-tech solutions as well say high-tech not maybe fairly routine technology now you can consider smart security devices so smart doorbells that incorporate a camera i've got one it's really handy for letting the guy making a delivery that he can just leave it on the doorstep because you'll be down in a couple of minutes, but also to see who's knocking on your door and make sure that they are legit or not. And you can give, say, your, your family access to that as well so they can see who's appearing at your door as well. Straightforward stuff as well, like taking a photo of who's at your doorstep and then saying, I've got that now. That can often dissuade anyone who's actually there for nefarious purposes. And ultimately, if someone's at your door refusing to leave, call the police. Um, you know, if they're not going anywhere, call the police, get them over, because that is exactly what they're there to do is protect people from someone appearing at your doorstep refusing to leave. So there's plenty of options out there. But again, it is tricky uh, to know who's a scammer and who isn't sometimes. 
Now, this month we published an investigation on investment scams, specifically where criminals target victims via paid-for adverts on search engines like Google and Microsoft's Bing. You might expect ads on platforms like this to be fully verified and trustworthy because we are, after all, talking about some of the biggest online giants here. But that's not always the case. We've been speaking with witch journalist Chiara Cavalieri to tell us more. The Financial Conduct Authority's warning list of firms potentially running investment scams doubled to 1,184 in 2020. A lot of this is fueled by criminals shifting their activities online, and we know that they use search engines such as Google and Microsoft Bing to target victims via paid-for ads. They pay to appear at the top of search results for terms such as best bonds and best fixed-rate bonds, and some of these adverts have remained up for weeks after the FCA warned about them. Although legitimate investment companies do exist and may advertise on search engines, we found dozens of comparison sites advertising on Google and Bing that were already on this warning list or soon would be. We think this suggests that Google and Bing are failing to appropriately verify these promoters and are putting consumers at risk. When we surveyed recent investment scam victims, we found that while one in seven were targeted by phone, four in 10 were targeted via online methods such as email, search engines and adverts on Facebook. Entering your email address and phone number on rogue investment sites could leave you facing a barrage of cold calls and unsolicited emails. We're aware that people who entered their contact details on some of these sites were called or emailed by fraudsters impersonating regulated companies. Losses to clone scams average £45,000, but we've heard from victims who lost six-figure sums. One couple lost over £100,000 to a clone scam. These fraudsters were posing as a regulated company and sent them fake emails, slick company-branded application forms, and even some fake bond certificates. They were devastated and told us they felt sick beyond belief when the truth came to light. It's, it's really quite upsetting hearing of that case study at the end there and of the huge amounts of money that are at stake with this kind of scam. The question is, can you ever get that money back? We've also been speaking to Mark Tabor. He worked with Kiara on the investment scam investigation. And here he shares another victim's story, along with their fight to get a refund from their bank. One example is a lady who's disabled and dyslexic who was targeted by the scam operation. They sold her two different fraudulent investments before she realised, or someone who helped her realise what was going on. Over £400,000, which was money needed for her daughter, who um, you know, was left to look after her because the daughter was disabled as well. So, you know, it's a terribly distressing case. Um, you know, she transferred the money um, in her bank branch and they didn't stop it. Um, they rejected her, the bank, you know, rejected her claims for a refund. Um, the FOS has found in her favour, but the bank is still disputing it months and months later. So, so you know, the, the, the cases are terrible and the support available for people is, is, is poor. You know, the FOS is very overwhelmed. Banks aren't really playing their part in, in protecting victims in the first place or in helping them get refunds if they do fall victim. By FOS, Mark is referring to the Financial Ombudsman Service. Um, so according to Mark, the FOS says this victim is owed a refund from Lloyd's. But to get to this point, Lloyd's first refused to refund the money. And, and Mark says they're continuing to dispute the FOS decision. So Adam, what are the two sides of the argument at play here? With scams like this, who is liable for any money lost? Because as, as with this case, sometimes victims do authorise the payment, but then should banks be carrying out checks 
and picking up on any red flags. Well, depending who you bank with, Lucia, there are some protections in place. There's something called the Voluntary Code on Authorised Push Payment Fraud. Um, Authorised Push Payments is bank speak for bank transfers. Um, and it's a code that which has campaigned a long time to, to have bought in. It's something we don't really think is quite strong enough, it has to be said. It shouldn't be voluntary. It should be mandatory. And banks should be held to account of how well they actually deal with scam issues like this against the code. But it is a positive step. And hopefully we can see some, some more sort of uh, code with more teeth in the future. Um, now, this code in particular, uh, it does put some requirements on banks first and foremost. So they have to educate their customers about the risks around authorised push payment scams. And it does mean they have to provide effective warnings. Um, so when you're using your, your bank app these days, you might find it sort of double checks that you, you are sending it to someone legitimate. Um, and, you know, they do have to check up on, on any huge payments that you are making. Now, in particular, the code puts an emphasis on banks to identify higher risk payments. So let's say, for example, transferring many hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, to investments um, and also making sure that any customers who are vulnerable or at higher risk of becoming a victim are identified as well. And it feels like in this case and many others, that has not happened. And certainly that's a case where the bank could well be liable under this code. Now, what does the code mean in practice is that if the bank has been in breach of it in any way, then you should be refunded the full amount you have been defrauded. So where they fail to identify and protect or fail to identify any high risk payments, then I think it's absolutely ironed on really that that person should be refunded the full amount. Now, going above and beyond that also, as long as you have a reasonable basis to say you believe what you were doing was legitimate, then there's every chance the bank should have to refund you under that code anyway, because it failed to identify that that money was going to a fraudster. Um, now, we have seen, and certainly a lot of phone calls that colleagues at Which Money Helpline receive as well, the application of this code has been pretty patchy by banks. Uh, and it's something that we are still very actively looking into as an organization to make sure it is being applied appropriately. And actually, whether those protections go far enough in terms of people being victims of, of push payment fraud, um, there's certainly more that can be done. But quite often, we have seen that people have to take complaints to the financial ombudsman where banks haven't done enough to make sure people are refunded. So if you do, if you are unfortunate enough to be the victim of a scam, a push payment scam, a bank transfer scam, and you're struggling to get your money back from your bank, it, it isn't game over there. You can go to the financial ombudsman as well and try and get that appealed on the basis of this code. As long as your bank is signed up to it, the majority of banks are now signed up to it. Certainly the big high street banks, you are fairly well protected. They are all signed up to this now. Um, there are a few sort of smaller banks, online banks that aren't at the moment, which hopefully will be. And again, if we can get to a place where we make this mandatory regulatory requirement for banks, then a lot more people will be protected in the future. And let's hear again from Mark Tabor, where he says the likes of such voluntary codes aren't doing enough. You know, voluntary codes are what everyone talks about a lot at the moment. Voluntary codes with online platforms over advertising voluntary codes with banks about victim protection and refunds, but they're just not working as we can see from the explosion in this at the moment. And 
if you put voluntary codes in place, you know, scams will always find ways around it. We see it in the banking system at the moment, using money transfer businesses instead of direct accounts. We see it in online advertising, where they just move to another platform, move it onto a social media, go through intermediate listing sites. You know, there needs to be liability um, for banks and online platforms in law. And there's a big push at the moment for online platforms to be made liable for the adverts they carry in the same way as traditional media has been for a long time. Mark raises an interesting point there that online platforms should be liable in the same way traditional media is. Adam, can you expand on this? How does it differ posting an advert in a newspaper or on the TV compared with a search engine? Well, search engines are a lot cheaper uh, to post advert with adverts with to start with. When you think about how TV or newspaper works, you have one advertising slot uh, and that can be quite an expensive advertising slot to try and get into. Whereas search engines, any company could advertise for any number of different search terms. So if you're searching for something like investment that pays better than 1%, which I imagine a few people might be looking for in a moment, then a lot of dodgy firms could try and sell ads on that search term and really zero in on you as a target and potentially put up fake investment opportunities in front of you that look enticing, fake websites that look enticing uh, and are absolutely tailored to what you are searching for. The amount of data that big companies like Google, but other search engines like Bing as well, have on their users about what they're searching for, what they're likely to interact with. Is, is vast and it does mean that the same tools that marketeers have access to trying to sell you legit things, scammers and rogue firms also have access to that same data and can target you in the same way. Um, and they can target you for exactly what you're looking for. It's a really worrying place to be. In fact, Google, in response to a lot of investigations by which in recent years have introduced uh, a validation period of around 30 days um, when an ad's sort of set up to when it actually gets validated but during that time the advert is still live so there's still a risk there of any advert you see promoted on search results potentially being fraudulent Uh, and it is really concerning at the moment that that sort of feels still far too open to abuse so adam at which we're calling for online platforms and banks to be held to account what would you like to see change and how can our listeners get involved Well, we'd definitely like to see banks and online platforms, big online sites like Google or Facebook, take a lot more responsibility for their users and customers. Uh, I think particularly with banks, uh, the the APP code, the authorised push payment code, needs to become mandatory and needs to be toughened up and have a lot more teeth than it does at the moment to protect people. And when it comes to, to big tech firms like Google, like Facebook, like Microsoft, you know, like Amazon, these are some of the richest companies on the planet, and they have to have a duty of care to their to their customers, um, to their users, and it it means that they have to be responsible in some way for the content that is presented on those platforms. Otherwise, they are just creating the perfect conditions to enable scammers to target us as individuals in a very focused way. So those two things combined could go a long way to to really. Uh, cutting off the route scammers have to get to us online and go a long way to making sure that when we shop online, it's a much safer, more secure, more pleasant experience than it is for many people at the moment, particularly those who have fallen 
victim to scams in the past whose levels of trust when it comes to shopping online and uh, are really low and actually may disengage from a digital experience, which is so important, um, especially whilst we're all stuck at home. Um, in terms of what you can do right now, absolutely, please support our campaign to stamp out scams. But also we have got uh, scam alerts, which are weekly emails telling you about the latest scams to look out for in detail. It's not the perfect solution to this. We do need banks and online platforms to take a level of responsibility here. But in the meantime, scam alerts are a fantastic resource to be able to mean that every week you get an update of the latest scams doing the rounds and you have a slightly better idea of the kind of things you need to be looking out for at the moment. Um, and certainly that that should help uh, at least protect a few more people than are being protected at the moment. Thank you so much for joining us today, Adam. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Witch Money Podcast. If you've got a comment or question on anything we've mentioned today, please let us know in the comments wherever you're listening to the podcast or on social media at Witch Money. And for money news and advice, head to witch.co.uk forward slash money. And a reminder again, if you want to sign up to our scam alerts, visit witch.co.uk forward slash scam alerts. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced and edited by Rob Lilly with additional supports from Ian Aikman and Kim Carver.